This is the How to Become a Career Coach podcast, the largest podcast for up and coming career coaches in the world and is dedicated to helping people that are in the early stages of becoming a career coach. I'm your host, Philip Mianko, and in this show, we bring practical advice based on real experiences, and we share actual stories of people that are current career coaches. So, let's get started. Building a coaching business can be hard. Not only are you working hard to help people with their careers, but you need to take care of yourself as well. Plus, what about all the personal issues your clients come across? And it's easy to try to push it off onto someone else, but you still need to help address it because it does affect their career and overall the work you're doing with them. In this final episode of season five, we bring on Beth Rashley, who began as a career coach in late 2019, right before COVID. But prior to that, she worked in the healthcare field and also had eight years of experience in the CIA. Right after starting her coaching business, she then came face-to-face with a target market that no longer had the money to afford her. In today's episode, she shares how to choose your niche as a new coach, how to take care of yourself while growing your coaching business, and how to develop resilience so you can help your clients even better. I have this kind of funky background. I always tell people that I have spent my entire career in HR in some capacity in healthcare, except for the eight years that I worked at the CIA, which is a whole like separate story and chapter of my life. But my uh, passion has always been helping people, period, from college, probably from birth. And that really manifested itself into that HR career path. Mm -hmm. And I really early on figured out that training and development was my niche and that was my happy place and pursued that really heavily until I landed in the leadership training perspective. And that's my true home. That's, that's my happy place. It's interesting because we doing some research on you before we hit record and then we got a chance to connect and talk before this, but it's really interesting because you have a background for, you know, for our listeners here, have a background in the CAA, but learning a lot from training and development there but also in the healthcare and that space too. So, and, but then even like moving into creating your own business too. So for you, when did you, and kind of what I was leading in here too, what prompted you to, to make the decision to start your own business? When I worked for the CIA, we lived in the Washington, D.C. area, and we decided to move back to Indianapolis, which is where I'm from. Gosh, it's been seven and a half years ago now. And when that happened, I thought, okay, maybe this is my moment to go. I didn't feel confident in walking back into the indie market, you know, all my relationships were in Washington, D.C. And the timing just didn't feel great. I still had a a super young child, Sam, I think was my son was three and a half. So timing just didn't seem, you know, to line up, but it's always been nagging back there as something that I wanted to do. Um, I think the real like force, lighting force um, I started, I, I started getting some opportunities to step out of corporate roles. Like I was getting um, folks who were like, I know that you do that at the organization that, that you're working at now. Could you come do that at my organization? That kept picking up. And I just started feeling more and more this calling to go out on my own. But I tell you, the tip, tipping point for me was I had a really close friend, have this friend that I worked with that, you know, over Labor Day weekend in 2019, she emailed me and said, 
you know, I've got cancer and it's bad. And mm. she's three years older than me. And I remember reading the email, <laughs> like, what is stopping me from doing this thing that I keep continuing to be called to do? Yeah. They pushed me. I was like, I'm just going to do it. And I think that moment let, helped me get rid of the fear of failure. Like, I just decided if it's a disaster, I'm incredibly employable. I can go get another job, yep. but I didn't want to live my life not knowing. So mm. I went in the following. So that happened Labor Day weekend. I went in the following Tuesday and gave my notice <laughs> at my job. So like it was, I will say it was both a long and a super fast decision for me. It's so interesting because I think for many people who are thinking about doing something like this, it really, that's how the decision happens, right? It's like a long decision. You're thinking about it for a really long time. And then one thing happens or another. And then for you, it was that diagnosis of your friend. It's like putting these things in perspectives. And if anything, what I've seen as far as like 2020, where I've really talked to people, it's not that these things weren't important or aren't important. It kind of is like this reshuffling of priorities. What wasn't as important before has now become much more important now and then vice versa. And it's kind of like this shift to, oh, all right, if you're going to do it, Let's do it now and make sure that you can really be in that position to really start helping people and serving people in those ways. So, and I think it's interesting too, because I, I like to bring on people who, you know, have lots of different coaching experiences. And I think something that is cool and really like great about your experience is that it's really in the leadership space and the organization space, but in this healthcare space too. Is that kind of what was in your thought process too, when you're thinking about starting your business? Yeah, I always knew I would hopefully in coaching, we always are trying to find our niche, you know, that that word's always out there. How do you, you know, find your niche? I always knew for me, it would be staying in healthcare. I have a real passion and connection to that work and the people who do it. It's also just like pragmatically, it's where my network is. Like, you know, it's where my people are and it would be an incredible, you know, waste of resource and just knowledge if I didn't continue to build into that particular community. But, you know, 2020 has been really hard on a lot of people, you know, struggling just to keep up with the day to day. They have more stress than usual. My leadership clients are leading teams through things they are not used to dealing with working hours. They're not used to working, you know, saying, holding people's hands while they're dying without family there. Mm -hmm. That's all new to healthcare. And even the most seasoned nursing staff and nursing leaders are struggling this year year to kind of start off on this coaching journey in that space. A couple of things I want to touch back on. And I think you mentioned a lot of good things of like finding your niche, but and utilizing your network there. Yeah. But then also, you know, something that we were talking about even before we hit record here, but coaching when the stakes are high, but really coaching people right now through these really uncertain times too. And what's that look like? And if anybody who we've had on this show, but for anybody who can really bring a light to that, I think it's you on really, what are people really going through, especially on these front lines too? Can you speak to like really what that's looked like, or maybe give some of our listeners some thoughts or some advice on what they can do to help their clients kind of work through a lot of these hard and really uncertain times. Yeah. I mean, I think the uncertainty is, you know, in my ideal clients, you know, if we want to use that kind of term, yeah. the, the people I spend the, the most time with, 
their biggest challenges are the same as most people's in 2020, right? There's nothing dramatically different about those challenges except for healthcare workers and leaders. You do have the added pressure of you can't just shelter in place at home and stay safe. You've got to continue to go to work. <laughs> You've got to go continue to expose yourself to a virus that we're still trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. You've got to be comfortable working in a way that you've not worked before. A lot of nurses, as someone who's worked in healthcare for a long time, you know, there's a whole field of nursing that's for hospice, for people who are dying, right? Yeah. The whole field of nursing, that that's all they do. The average nurse doesn't have the skill sets to deal with the dying <laughs> in the same way that someone who's fully trained in that is. So I, I know I, when we, we spoke before, I told you the story of a, of a dear friend who is a scrub nurse, you know, so this is somebody who's physician during surgery. That's her skill set. It's a highly specialized area of nursing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, She typically works with elective procedures. So things like hip replacements and, you know, your normal things that you would have. She, She was there when I had my carpal tunnel surgery done. You know, she does those types of procedures. That's her typical world. Well, early COVID days, elective procedures go away. Okay. So her normal day to day job isn't even available to her because hospitals aren't performing those types of procedures. It's not safe to have people in the facility, okay? So she's suddenly floating to an ICU with COVID patients on a vent. (laughs) That's a totally different world, okay? So then put yourself in the shoes of the leader who has to lead her at transition. And you're just, I mean, you're just leveling up, Mm -hmm. you know, challenge after challenge. And, you know, to your point that the stakes are high, these are not these are not things that you can just be like, well, you know, I'm just going to cross my fingers and hope things work out because that's somebody's mom on the vent or yep. somebody's, you know, grandmother and it, the stakes are high. It's literally a life. Mm-hmm. It's just a different way of operating in the world than most of us are used to, you know, yeah. myself included. That's not my world. Yeah. Arms around those people and trying to help them, you know, however I can. But man, yeah, I just have mad respect <laughs> for the work that they're doing. Well, it really shows from just the work that you're doing with your clients, but just the time to kind of launch this endeavor in this time. I don't know if we would have like looking back on this for so long, like predicted like, you know what, this is probably the best time with all these things going on and everything in the world. And especially with the challenges that your clients, the leaders that you work with have, and just really having to meet them where they're at, especially when it is literally life and death, really, it puts it back and talking about priorities, you get rid of everything else. We talk about what's important and how to to really go through that. And I think for coaches, that's a skill that needs to be cultivated and had and refined over time. Because for whoever you're coaching in these spaces, and, and especially here in this healthcare and leadership space, but sometimes you get people in there and they've got they've got something they need to take care of right now or right. something unprecedented uncertain happened and it needs to happen and it really yeah, takes and that. you know what's funny too is i'm i'm just reflecting too on like typically when i'm working with a leader particularly in healthcare mm-hmm. one of the things i probably spend the most time doing and have for you know 25 years working with leaders is yeah coach and help people have really hard conversations. People in healthcare suck at that because their heart is so good and pure. And to like have to tell somebody they suck at their job or there's something that's really gone wrong. Yeah. It's a disaster. It's really hard on them. I can't even tell you how much time I've spent trying to help people get better at having those kind of conversations, but that's not what my year's been. My year's been, okay, let's take a really hard look at what's resilience look like for you. Mm. 
So let's take a hard look at self-care practices. Mm -hmm. How are you taking care of yourself? Who's supporting you during this time? Those are conversations certainly I've had, but not at the (laughs) amount that I've had them this year. So I've had to really shift, I think, my own toolbox. I even picked up a resilience coaching certification over this year just to give myself a couple more tools to be able to provide to folks who needed that. You know, that was their biggest. I always think about, you know, the metaphor of, you know, you want to be using the right tool. And if the nail is now, I can't stand up anymore. I'm that exhausted. I better have the right tool in my toolbox to be able to help with that. Yeah. Your driver yeah. is not going to help in that situation. <laughs> Which It reminds me a lot when I'm coaching people through overwhelm, when they're yeah. just overwhelmed and exhausted. Yeah. And that you go back to the, it's usually the self-care questions. And you yeah. had a couple in here. Speaking of the toolbox, would you mind sharing a couple of those questions for our listeners to go, hey, when someone needs resilience or they're overwhelmed or they're exhausted, what are some of your go-to questions that you ask? Yeah. So go-tos are number one. I always start with how much are you sleeping right now? That's a good one. That's a good one. Like that is where you start because you can't do any of the other things until are you getting, let's set six or seven hours as the baseline, which we know eight is really our mark, but are you at least getting six or seven? If not, that's what we focus on first, mm-hmm. right? Then self-care practices, I always let that be determined by the person because I can't tell somebody what self-care is for them. Mm-hmm. So that's some reflection questions about what are things that when you feel really depleted, what is something that helps you feel better, okay? So for me, just in pure honesty, I know it should be exercise. Like I know it deep in my heart, but it's not. I have to make myself exercise mm-hmm. because I should. Mm-hmm. right? But it's not a resilience activity for me. It does not use my cup, okay? <laughs> yeah. A resilience activity for me is, can I find a half hour to sit in a room by myself with a book? That will make me feel a 30. In, in times of extreme stress, you want to go to the things that you know are going to help them feel better. Mm-hmm. And that has to be determined by them. Now, all that, if there's some... <laughs> If their answer to that is, well, if I drink a bottle of wine, I feel a lot better. You know, we're going to have some conversations about, (laughs) is that really serving them in the way that they want it to? But I I feel like self-care is so personal. All we can do is try to hold some space for, I look for what are some things that get them to the feeling outcome that we want? Mm -hmm. And they're the best judge of that. Does that make sense? I can literally see you processing it. Well, this is the benefit of doing these uh, over Zoom. And it makes me think about, we have lots of listeners here or people who come into our PCC program and we do a training. We have one recording where we give some examples and this one has to do with like self-care. And then usually the response that I always get is like, wait, Philip, I thought this whole stuff was about career coaching. And even people who are listening on this podcast might be going, wait a second, wait, wait, this is how to become a career coach. But in very real realities, it's something we teach called the situational coaching model, yeah. meaning we have to meet the people where they're at. Yeah. I can't get them to do their action items. I can't get them to show nope. up fully on a call until they are literally taking care of themselves. This is, I literally tell this to a lot of the people that we train. It's like, they might need a therapist. They might need this or this or that, but they have me right here, right, here, right now. Yeah. And I have designated myself, we have both have designated myself as their coach, as the person who's going to hold that line for them. So yeah. for better, for worse, it is my job to make sure that they are taking care of themselves. And that means having that exact same conversation. How many hours of sleep are you having? Yep. What's your self-care look like? Yeah. Are you doing these things? Because if you don't, then these things will happen. Or right. we have to get this right, because if we want these results, 
these things, it's got to all have in a place. And for a lot of coaches, sometimes talking about having really hard conversations, that can be really hard for some coaches because it can be really uncomfortable for coaches to be like, wait, wait, I'm a career coach or I'm an XYZ coach. We only talk about this and then you got to go take care of that and the other parts. But you're going to get faced with these concerns as coaches. And so you have to have the right tools in the toolbox to use that phrasing there to make sure that you're getting their clients what they need. And if anything, at any time, it's become more important and even more important now for you as a coach, but as our leaders and our leaders who are leading these people in organizations and in teams and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things I was just going to say too, like I think as coaches too, our instinct is sometimes to... You know, I could go into a call with somebody I knew was struggling with Mm self-care with a prescriptive idea in my mind of what's going to help them. And I think the urge to do that as coaches is always there, right? We're, (laughs) We're good people. We think we know the answers. We know what path, you know, we might lead them on. But even as someone who knows, okay, if you're struggling with resilience right now, getting a good night's sleep, eating makes your body feel healthy, getting a little bit of exercise, those things are going to be really beneficial to you. I don't have to tell them that they know that, Yeah. right? It's how do we get them to uncover themselves Mm -hmm. and figure out a way to do that in a way that serves them. And I think that's my approach in those kinds of conversations. It's a very real way that we view coaching as well, where it's very much from the aspect of, hey, they know the things they need to do inherently. We don't need to tell them like, hey, you need to make sure you're getting to bed by this time and then get it this time and eat your green vegetables. Like, I'm not here to do that. I'm more here to make sure that we're helping them uncover those things because they're going to turn off the Zoom camera and they're going to get off the phone wherever you're on. And then they've got their lives outside of all these things. You've got to give them the tools and the things to set those types of things up. So, So, so sleep, a conversation about sleep might look like, okay, so you're only getting five hours of sleep right now. Tell me more about that. What's the challenge there? So is it work overwhelmed? So do we need to have a conversation about some work boundaries? Have that conversation. Mm -hmm. Is it your two-year-old is still up five times a night Mm -hmm. and you need some help? (laughs) You know, it's getting to the core of those issues. And then maybe it is, you know, they're just so wound up from their day. They're having trouble, you know, shutting things down. So then that might be a time where you might pull a tool like, have you ever tried an app like the Calm app? You know, can, oh, you've never heard of that before. Great. Let's pull that up and let, let me show you how something like that might be helpful. Um, that's the moment where you get in with some tools, but we have to understand that root cause or we can't be helpful. <laughs> yeah. And it's that people will get stuck and stay in that overwhelm or exhaustion. And then us as coaches, maybe people who've listened to this podcast, maybe both Beth and myself, we've been there before and it can be really, yeah. really hard to get yourself out of that or really to be thinking clearly from those states. So it's so, so important to have them begin thinking through and verbalizing that just those things because we need them to be working through that. It's going to happen again. If we know they're going to get exhausted, it's going to probably happen again. And especially if they're working in in places where they're high stress and the stakes are high, it's almost a certainty. And, you know, a simple example of that too, I think so much of how we serve our situations is with the accountability piece too. Mm -hmm. So I was actually working with a client earlier this year on, um, she just had kind of a series of really hard conversations that she needed to have and she was struggling with them. So we were, one of the conversations she needed to have was a layoff. There was a a person she had to lay off of her team. 
And so as we were prepping for that conversation, I said, okay, this is going to be really hard for you. Like she's a highly empathetic person. She was already upset about having to do it before she walked into the conversation. Mm -hmm. I just said to her, let's think about what are some things that are going to help in your body before you have that conversation? What's something that you might do? And she goes, you know, it might be helpful for me before I get on the phone. Perfect. So pull up your calendar. Do you have time to take a walk before the meeting? Yes. Great. Block that out on your calendar right now so that you have time to do that. Okay, great. So we're also going to feel not great, right? This is not going to be a fun conversation. I don't care how prepared you are for it. It's going to be hard. What's something that might make you feel better after the call? Okay. I would probably feel really good to debrief with my sister who I'm really close to. Great. Do you have time after that call to call your sister? Great. Put it on your calendar. It's not that she didn't know any of that. Yeah. It's our prompting of how are you actually going to take action on things that are going to serve you and help you build resilience in those moments and give some accountability of that. And then the other thing she did after the conversation is she texted me that she had done all the things, (laughs) right? So she knew I was going to check in on her to see if... So we were just talking about this in in one of our PCC classes yesterday, and it's a class that I was teaching. And just for our listeners to give a couple background pieces what Beth was doing right there, because it was everything that you need in helping somebody take action, but execute on exactly what they're talking about. In sessions, when somebody is exhausted, either they are brain dead and don't have much to say, or they are just exhausted and frustrated and they want to just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And then they're going to use all that time and they're they're just kind of spinning their wheels. Yeah. Often, sometimes you got to, it depends on who it is. You got to like break it up and go, Hey, you know what? I know you're exhausted, but let's do something about it. Yeah. So the couple things that you did right there and some people who are listening today can take away. If you get somebody in that stage, it's Okay you know you're going to be having a really hard discussion. What can we do about that? Or we know that you're going to be having this struggle. Maybe something you know is going to be happening might be difficult, or we got to do this really big project. So we identify what's the thing you're going to do. And then if it's going to be hard, what do you need to do before that to get yourself in a good mind state for it? Okay, let's identify that. Cool. When will you do it? Okay. Did you block that out? Do you literally, have you written it down on a calendar, put in a calendar place, the what, the when, the why, like, Hey, you've got to be able to go and take a walk because that's going to put you in a great mindset for that conversation. And then kind of, do we have to bring in anybody else who's going to be a part of that? Literally breaking it down helps that person begin to think about it, but then put that thing into action because what's going to get them out of exhaustion, what's going to get them out of all those feelings is actually doing something about it. And that's our job as coaches, right? We don't just talk to them. We got to make them talk and then do the thing. And even the extra accountability piece in there, and that's going to look different for everybody. I often have my, I have my clients when they have wins, when they celebrate, and I know they're not really good at celebrating. And for those high performers out there that are listening, they're like, okay, I did a really hard thing. Cool. I'm going to go do the next hard thing. I have to go stop. No, no, no. We need to celebrate. So I had one (laughs) client, he was going to say, he said, Philip, you know what? I'm going to go get ice cream tonight. I said, great. You text me a picture when you're at Baskin Robbins and that ice cream. And he did. And I was like, great, good job. Keep it up. And it's like, take these for when things get hard, take things when things are great. It's all about breaking down each of those pieces and helping them move one of those stages into taking those executions. Yeah. I think, and I think your point is really valid too, Philip, of people who are overwhelmed and exhausted. It's so easy with those clients to let them spin in their story of how exhausted and overwhelmed they are. And again, I'm a highly empathic coach. So Mm -hmm. 
I feel that viscerally. I know what that feels like. I've been in that position before. Maybe not exactly what they're going through, but we've all been overwhelmed and exhausted before. So it can be so easy to get in the box of their store. And, and so practices like let's really think about what's going to make you feel better and pushing them to take those actions. Mm-hmm. I think it helps us as coaches not get caught up, but it also helps them actually feel differently. Yeah, I think it's such a good call out too, right? It's the importance of making sure we're holding those spaces, but absolutely. But it's also the let's making sure we're doing things differently because what's getting us the actions we're taking now or the decisions or the mindsets or it's what's causing this. So we absolutely. something's got to change. Yep. So with all those things being said, I guess one of one of my favorite questions I, I love to ask here too, and it's it kind of goes back to a little things that we talked about before about maybe launching in 2020 and all those and working with the, with these leaders too. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've had in your coaching practice and business? And, or another way I like to ask this too, or what are some of the sacrifices you've had to make in running your own coaching business? Or I sometimes don't say sacrifices. What are some big takeaways too? Yeah. I mean, I think to your first point, like what's, I want to make sure I've got this right. So what's something that's been hard or a struggle point in 2020? Yeah. I was just picking 2020, but it seems to be the topic a little bit, but I just want to make sure that it's more for me and for our listeners of like, for somebody like you with the clients that you, that you've had just the really the difficult conversations that they've had to have and running your business in this year, what are some of those challenges that you've had to overcome? Yeah. I mean, I would say the biggest challenge I've had this year is when you have a niche of healthcare. Again, I start officially started my business and lost uh, November 2019. Okay. The pandemic hit March 2020. So I had four months of normal before the pandemic kind of took over. And the difference of my business pre COVID and after is dramatic. Okay. Because what happened to healthcare is a loss in revenue, which doesn't make any sense unless you understand healthcare, but most healthcare systems are struggling right now Mm -hmm. because there were uh, big chunks of time where they were not doing elective procedures. That's where money comes from in hospitals, okay? They also were serving more low income or low non-insured, non-private, that's going to affect revenue. So my ideal client doesn't have a ton of money to spend on my services right now, Mm. okay? I would have ever predicted (laughs) in November of 2019, I couldn't have known that my niche was suddenly not going to have any money. Okay. And then you combine people who are so overwhelmed and exhausted that they're struggling to make the time for themselves to work with a coach. So those have been my challenges is how do I get in and can given those circumstances? That's been scrappy. Like I've had to really be agile in the face of that. I'm doing things I never thought I would be doing. So one example of that is I'm running a group pro coaching um, tended um, to do, mm-hmm. um, but it was a way to kind of serve people on a smaller scale, a cheaper scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and still be able to provide some value. So that's one thing that I did. The other thing that I did just personally, because I have a background in lots of things other than coaching, is I leaned on my other skills. So I took some, worked with a healthcare organization to help them reimagine what their leadership competencies looked like at their organization and help them build a tool to assess that. So I had to pivot in a lot of ways because my business didn't look the way I predicted it was going to look in 2020. Thank you for sharing all those pieces because I know yeah. that's something that we, we talked about and I wanted for our listeners to really 
understand and really hear what it's actually like in those scrappy types of times where it's something that we've had to do even in our own business where the pandemic hit and we all want to make sure that we're pivoting in a way that is keeps us with our doors open, but also make sure that we're still serving the people that we're in the best position to serve too now and in the future. And I think it speaks to a lot of real things for our listeners about, all right, what are the other skills or other things that you've done that you can lean on, but also one of those things that are really not essential in your business, all those like fancy bells and whistles that you can almost like that you just kind of go back to the priorities, which you think were important, but actually those don't matter as much. Like let's get really specific and how we can directly help and serve those people. Whether like there's the group coaching program that you mentioned going back and using other skills that we've done in other places. I think it's so much as, as coaches who have their own business I often talk on this podcast about there's coaches and there's business leaders. And very much in what we're talking about right now, this is a business leader and really pivoting to go, (laughs) what's going to work? Like we have to make sure we take care of keeping the doors open, making sure we're making really good decisions. And it's ultimately coming back to that servant leadership. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that's absolutely what 2020 has been for me. Like I've had to just keep, you know, I can't tell you how many playbooks I've written that have gotten thrown out the window. I know I shared this with you. A big chunk of my revenue team building, I typically work with, you know, leaders that I coach, but then also their teams yeah. who, you know, we might run through something like the disc and, you know, do team building activities with them. I had about $30,000 of that business sold this year that didn't happen because mm-hmm. in-person classes were not happening and nobody wanted to move team building virtual because nobody wants to be on Zoom anymore. Like everybody is zoomed out. <laughs> so, like I haven't been able to pivot that piece yet. I also know that when this is over, that business is coming back, you know? So I'm also like just encouraging myself to like pivot and also know that this isn't forever. Mm -hmm. Things are going to bounce back. (laughs) And some of those things that I knew were going to be there, they'll, they'll be there again. So just waiting for it. Yeah. Very much. It just reminds me of the phrase and the saying that this too shall pass. Yes. And it's so much that all of these things are going on and, and maybe people are listening to this and maybe it's 2021 or 2022 or they're like, what? Or so much more in the future. But for us who are recording at this time of 2020, we know that these things will come back and maybe they'll come back different or maybe it'll look different. But at one time or another, where I I tell people about really about the future of coaching, it is so much in this space where we're really helping people figure out really what they want in their lives and their careers and make sure they ask for it and, and can articulate it. And that's one side of the conversation. And the other side is very much where you're working right now is that leadership side. How do they help people articulate that and work through there? And also sometimes have those really hard conversations and be in those spaces too. So I guess one of my last questions for you, and this is the clean slate question that I like to ask. If you were to go back, you know, maybe you know, mentioned 2019 in November last year, or even the, the years and the months, kind of when you're in that space, knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently? Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of it, I you know, I have a lot of people who reach out to me now that I have my own business who, you know, have the inkling, want to start their own business, but they're terrified for one reason or the other, or it feels too overwhelming. I think one of the things I would say is none of it is as hard as you're making it up to be in your head. So a classic example of this is, you know, I needed to file incorporation paperwork with the state. 
I put it off for like four months because I thought I needed to hire a lawyer and I needed to like file this paperwork. And then finally one day I was like, I'm just going to go to the state of Indiana's website and see what I'm supposed to do. And it turned out I could do it by myself and it was $70. <laughs> and for four months I made up that I had to do all of these things that I could have done it for. <laughs> so there are so many things that feel so much harder than they are list of the most important things. And I would say those are, you know, I spent a lot of time on what should my website look like and what should my offerings be? And what I would say is spend a couple months focusing on the things that are going to allow you to take a payment from a client. Okay. So that's, you need your tax ID number. <laughs> you need a bank account. You need a way for clients to pay you. So what's that going to look like? Are you going to use an invoicing, you know, service? Are you going to use PayPal? Figure that out and then get really clear about what is the service that you're providing and put that up in like the simplest form that you can instead of trying to go so big with fully developed websites and I've got a Kajabi course I'm doing and you know, <laughs> yeah. that, like just start so simple mm -hmm. and take some, you know, slow baby steps. That's what I would have told 2019 Beth to just slow your roll and take the, <laughs> take the, get those done. I say that because once I did that, I had a business. When I was spinning about those things, I had a hypothetical business in my head, but it's the actual doing of that makes you a business owner, not the worry and the, the stress and the unknown of it. None of it is as hard as it appears in your head. Mm -hmm. Believe me, because I am not that smart. So if I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I often talk about mic drop moments on this podcast. I feel very much that's one of those where, <laughs> I mean, I uh, very much that resonated with me because I, I have a very hard tendency to make things way more difficult than they need to be. So if I ever find myself there, I stop. I have to ask myself, all right, what would this look like if it was simple? And sometimes I do that myself. And sometimes I got to get somebody with a big bat just a knock in the head and go, Philip, let's go. Let's make it simple. Yeah. And I think so much of what I'm taking from this conversation, but something that you do and have done and have been doing really well is coming back to really those essential pieces, I feel like. You know, we talked about from, you know, coaching when the stakes are high, but really where people are in those overwhelmed, exhausted states and going, all right, all these things don't matter. What's the most important? Are you sleeping? But even from a business standpoint too, and becoming a master pivoter, I'm going to call, I'm going to coin that phrase here. Maybe somebody else already <laughs> like did it. that. But, I like it. But even pivoting that way, even for yourself and your business and for your clients and all the, of those things. So if anything, one of the things that I think you do or have done very, very well and just exemplify it amazingly is bringing it back to those essential pieces and taking those execution pieces on those two and actually like talk about those baby steps, but more so like making these things actually happen. Like you mentioned, there's the hypothetical business and there's the real business. And yeah. for me, and thank you so much for coming on and sharing this too. If here's what it actually looks like. And these are the actual practices. And here's what it looks like to actually put this into work. So thank you very much for that. Oh, no problem. It's my pleasure. Well, with all those things being said, before I let you go, I guess my last question for you is for people who want to get in contact with you or who want to get to know you more, where can they find you and how can they get in contact with you? Okay. So my website is uh, Rashly Consulting. So that's my last name, which we chatted about. It's not the <laughs> easiest thing. So I'm going to spell it real fast. R-A-S-H. 
<laughs> L-E-I-G-H consulting.com. And you can also just email me directly at Beth at RashleyConsulting.com. Well, that's a wrap for season five. As the host of the How to Become a Career Coach podcast, I've truly enjoyed getting to bring on some amazing guests and break down what it actually takes in becoming a coach. So join us next season as we continue to bring on even more career coaches who've built their lives, their businesses, and their careers helping others. So thanks for tuning in and see ya in season six. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the How to Become a Career Coach podcast. For more information, check out becomeacareercoach.com where you can find information on this podcast, our programs, books, and endless content on, well, how to become a career coach. Also, don't be shy. If you have any questions or kind words, we'd love to hear from you. And you can reach me directly at philip at happentoyourcareer.com. And that's Philip with two L's. So thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.